0: ben williams welcome to the development by david podcast how are you my friend
1: i'm very well how are you
0: mate amazing amazing and that's for one reason because you're on the show this is a very honorable honorable moment for the show because i've said to you and i've posted publicly that i've listened to your episode with uh stephen bartlett on the diary of the ceo four times now and i've listened to you Mm. on the podcast Campbell Conversations hosted by one of my good friends and it's strange because every time I've listened to them I've pulled something different away from the conversation that you've had. Um, Sometimes it's perspective and learning about the kind of liberties and luxuries that I have that you've sometimes not had during your army career or sometimes it's just understanding my dad's own journey who's a veteran who served in the Falklands. Uh, So I just want to, off the bat, say thank you for being so transparent on uh, all the shows that you've been on.
1: You're more than welcome. I think um, transparency is, uh, well, there's like a sort of blend between between transparency and authenticity, isn't there? And um, it's good to talk about exactly what we're going to probably be talking about today and share experiences so people can not take necessary just lessons from my experiences but how they also relatable to someone else how their similarities how can you sort of navigate similar challenges or challenges that may occur using a similar way of thinking and I think that only becomes or comes through when people are transparent and open about who they are and I think maybe a lot of us are a little bit done with the bullshit of well some of what the personal development industry carries is a load of hyped up people talking fucking shit about something they've not experienced um and I, I enjoy talking openly and honestly about my experiences to help people and hope that they do help people in the same time that they help me you know every time I talk about something it doesn't bring up a dark past it reminds me and allows me to go back to reset mode to understand maybe how far I've come or what I've achieved or what I want to achieve next and yeah that's um it's a powerful way to be being able to talk about things that's what it's all about isn't it you know and talking about things so you're more than welcome
0: and hearing your story at times mate I've interpreted it under a really kind of selfish lens I've applied what you've been through and applied it to my own life at times but what I want to get out of this podcast that I've not actually seen on any of the other podcasts that you've been on is how we can sympathize with people who have been through such things you have like, like I said my dad's a Falklands vet and my mentor at work is a officer who served in Afghanistan. Um, and he, he's good for some events that have happened. So I am very close to that. And I can sympathize because I've vicariously lived through them, quote unquote. Mm. Um, but a lot of people haven't. But they have people in their inner circle or wider circle who have served in the armed forces. So hopefully we can also learn how we can better support those close to us. Would that be okay if we explore that?
1: yeah absolutely I I think that um, yeah I, I don't think we do let me start again I suppose when we look at the veteran community I, I, I'm quite keen to be like you don't need to feel sorry for the veteran community um, I think we can help people establish empathy for what we've experienced and understand a little bit but I live a completely different life now to what was in the military and I actually look at my military life and think fucking hell that's probably some of the easiest times I've ever lived (laughs) genuinely I think running your own business being a parent like real real world problems uh, are harder and more difficult and more challenging and more adverse to sometimes deal with than maybe what you would experience in the military and I know that might come surprising to some people because it's like whoa combat people getting killed and blown up but maybe I'll come on to that later in the podcast but I think there's a great degree of relevance to be able to have an empathy for that community but likewise that community has empathy back um, and that's what we'll explore.
0: I guess what's important there is we've touched on your military career if I were to say to you what's the elevator pitch of Ben Williams today in 2021 how would you bring that to life how would you self-describe yourself?
1: Oh, wow, that's a fucking great question. Ironically, I'm so prepared for my own elevator pictures of my product and my business that I don't think I've ever been asked about myself. Uh, ben is... Um... Oh, yeah, you got me there. I live my life by almost pure integrity now, and that means I have to start with myself. And that's been one of the hardest challenges to ever overcome is being honest with myself about certain things. And I think I used to, it's not a pitch. If you're an investor, you'd be fucking hammering me by now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my, my whole perspective on life's completely changed and, and for the right reasons. And I used to be a hothead, volatile character. Um, my outlook on life now is just to be me that is it and I use my service experience I use my past life in sort of abusing drugs and now what I do in business to actually present and project a completely different person of who I truly am to to the people I speak to and uh I think where I finally got to in life which has taken me a long time to get to is I truly don't give a fuck what you think about me um and it's taken a long time to get to that point. And that's not out of arrogance or lack of humility. It's because I am actually so content with who I am and what I have going on in my life that very little else matters outside the bubble, of what, what someone may think. And I think that's been a difficult journey to get to because a lot of people do want to get there. Uh, and we allow imposter syndrome to get in the way. We allow what pe- others think of us to get in the way and it's quite liberating when you get to a point where you're like, I'm pretty content with what I've achieved now. So bit of a long-winded way of saying that.
0: And do you think when we revert back to what you previously said about perhaps some of the challenges that you face today being more intense than the ones you did before comes as a byproduct of being authentic and being you and living to those values? Because in the army, I guess, when I look at my dad, he's a quote unquote a carbon copy. he's he's forced into a facade or a character or an ego, or a persona and he wears that and so does all his mates but now mm-hmm. that you've embraced being you post-military service do you think that's why the challenges have arisen because you're now more in touch with your emotions you're more emotionally intelligent more self-aware and now you're riding that cusp uh because you're blanketed <laughs> it by the military career for so long
1: i think self-awareness is probably the biggest thing in that um the military is very good at carving you in to what they want you to be um and that can become quite ingrained in you and then you live the life of you're doing two to three to 22 years and everything that comes within those years you, you are living that life you're staying that carved thing that they've asked you to be for quite some time and there is a very big jump between being in that world to leaving that world and moving into civilian world um and i think like maybe this puts it into more context that I've never since leaving the military, I've never gone to a remembrance parade and felt proud. I've never gone there and wore my beret, my green beret, you know, which we pride ourselves on. I've never put a jacket on. I've never worn my medals, nothing. I've just very sort of disconnected from it. And the one just been, is has been the first time where I've put my beret back on, put my jacket on, put my medals on and gone mean- there and felt quite happy. <laughs> What changed um, me? I think what changed was this a um, high degree of contentment and, and it is that self-awareness to feel content. You know, there's pride, there's um, the ability to put some of those experiences behind you and actually accept that they've happened and you can't do anything else now. And one of the biggest things I, I learned was... Um, to remember that I signed on the dotted line to join and I signed on the dotted line to go and deploy to the places around the world to um, do what we do in the military. And I think during a period of time, especially coming back from operations in Afghanistan and places like that, where you, I didn't personally feel, I, didn't, I felt like the world owed me a favor, felt like if you and I crossed paths in the street, I'd ignore you wouldn't like you because you haven't done what I've done, which is a completely belittling way of looking at the world. But I think you're so young during those moments and it's very raw what you've experienced that it takes a long time to come out of that carving. And I think the proudest moment for me is putting those medals back on, going to Remembrance Day. And there was a drunk who ruined the two-minute silence for many people around him by just being drunk and gobbing off. And I just smiled and thought, oh, he's probably having a great day. And I, I'd never thought of that before. He wasn't angry with anyone. He was just sort of fucking, like a fucking piss bloke on the bench. Um, and, you know, people were getting really rattled by him, around him. And I would have been that rattled person years ago. And I was so content with just, like oh, he's just having a good time. Just let him be. It's two minutes, I'm still remembering. That's what matters. And that's all that really we should be caring about and I think for me that is that self-awareness to be absolutely content with situations like that
0: that's amazing mate and I typically hate podcasts where the guest sorry the host interjects with a personal anecdote I love when it's all the guests that provide the value but there was something so profound in what you said there that I resonated with that I want to share a personal anecdote and yeah go for it
1: it's your podcast
0: We've spoke offline about how my early days resonated a little bit with yours or vice versa. And I remember as, bearing in mind I'm 23, perhaps three or four years ago, I was reflecting on my own story, my own journey and the achievements I had to that point. And I would resent my, one of my best friends because he had a very, very easy upbringing, but wasn't passing university. And I thought, if I can achieve what I've achieved and the circumstances in which I've achieved them, why can't you pass uni and I bottled Mm. this up for so long and I had this ambient subconscious resentment towards him and until I was content with my own story that's when I could then realize that perhaps the shoes that he's walking aren't as easy as they seem perhaps he's going through things in his life that are relative to his environment that are really fucking hard I'm Mm. only basing my perspective through my own lens and not his And until I was happy with my own story and started hearing other people's and finding solaces, and for example, yours, I could then sympathize and empathize with him and understand, yeah, some of the lowlights of his life are actually quite hard for him because of the environment that he's been through, which is very different to mine. So mate, it's a testament to uh, your story too. Thanks for bringing that out to me.
1: I think, uh, no, it's good. And I, I also think it's a really common thing, you know, Let's not go down down the rabbit hole of social media, but social media is a great example of going. That person's life way better than mine. Um, I I I also years had this bitterness, especially as I was moving into the personal development world, which is different to what I do now. But writing a book and um, going on these podcasts and sort of getting my name out there a little bit in that world and you know, one of the veterans doing it. And then the whole SAS who does Wins thing and Ant Middleton and stuff. I remember being really resentful around that. Like, who's he? Why is he? It's pathetic now, I look back. Um, And I had that a few times. And interestingly enough, I now look at everything in in the sense of, I I really don't care what other people are doing. Like, I think this comes down to purpose, like really, truly identifying like genuinely identifying your purpose? Because people say they've identified their purpose. Um, And then, yeah, they will still be wobbled by um, someone else's activity around them who is maybe doing better than you or doing something different to you and it it looks better. Um, But then have you really, truly attached onto what your purpose is? Because I think the moment you find what your true purpose is, nothing anyone else does around you should bother you in a way that you're negative towards it that you look at that with jealousy or envy we we, I love looking at people going oh that's cool one day something I do will be similar to that that's it like I could have gone on Stephen Bartlett's show and be like I'm a tech founder why are you going why did you sell your company why, why are you getting all the fame and the hype Fucking hell. and there would be people who do that and I used to be like that but not anymore and I think that again comes all the way back to that self-awareness around what's my true purpose my purpose is to build a business that makes a genuine difference in the world and I get to make the difference I can't wait to make the difference and then if it all goes well my family in the next two or three generations will benefit financially from it, which is all that matters. I can pay for their dreams and, and I can invest into their ideas and I can give them a life maybe I didn't have beforehand. I think that's, that's part of the fun. That's part of the game. You know, the purpose is that. So whatever someone else is doing off to the right or the left or off to the flank to me, it shouldn't matter. It genuinely shouldn't matter. If someone's doing better than you, fucking good on them. Good on them but you shouldn't be chasing that and there should be no negativity towards that. And I think that's the biggest problem people have is spending too much time looking around, wondering, and seeing what they think is going on as opposed to truly connecting what your purpose is that when you genuinely work out, I think that's where that attitude comes from. Of, Don't really give a fuck what you think um, because I've got this thing going on over here and there's certain people who are in that bubble and that's all that matters.
0: me that rings so true. I love that last monologue. I've experienced that myself um, through the podcast as well, because people are wondering why I'm entitled to a voice. Why is David McIntosh on a podcast speaking to these people? Uh, and I'm all constantly reminded of the Michael Phelps quote, I think, and it's winners focus on winners, losers focus on winners. Uh, yeah. And I guess, have you only found your purpose when you started lupin is that when you when that was really catalyzed and born?
1: Yeah, I think so because it beca- it comes in. It comes together like a cocktail of ingredients. Like I think certain things have to, have to be happening or falling in place or out of place in life for you to genuinely see through it all. So I think when when the pandemic's kicking off, um, and our business is going under. And we're like, fuck, what are we going to do? And you come up with an idea where you think, oh, we can do this. And then you raise investment. And then the investment actually fell through the first time around. So you paint everyone on your team out of your own pocket. And you've got two children and a house and all these things that there's a lot suddenly put into perspective. And you ride the storm. That's what we found. We rode out the storm and we got to chapter two. Like, and hopefully we'll get to chapter three or chapter four. But there's so much there that puts a lot into perspective to go, I've still got my two kids and my wife, that if it all went fucking wrong, i still got them in life. So th- there's this awesome thing there. And, oh, the money fell out the first time around, but we managed to raise it. Well, that's pretty cool. That shows a lot of resilience, and actually we can do that. And, and then, oh, does our product really work? Well, this customer's left. This customer likes it. Oh, well, it works for them. Fuck them. You know it doesn't work for them but it doesn't matter i don't mean that wrong <laughs> this point isn't it um i love you really um but it doesn't matter and all these things happen at the kind of same time for you to be like i'm on the right path the, and the path is really difficult to be on and then this is the bit that i think a lot of people again get lost on is they think the path should be smooth it should be easy there's no potholes there's no bumps it's just like, ah, my purpose is this path and it's smooth and I finally get to glide along. Well, that doesn't fucking happen. What happens is you find the path that you genuinely want to be on and then you deal with the shit on it and the potholes on it and the barbed wire and everything along the way that makes it increasingly difficult to be on there. But you move a bit further forward every time. And I think that's the bit where... You realise the resilience you have, the the reason you're doing something, the purpose, your inspiration for doing stuff, is genuinely presented to you. And yeah, for me, that is looping because it's part of the the bigger picture of what I'm trying to achieve.
0: Fantastic, me, absolutely fantastic. And usually, when I'm on this podcast with a guest, I'll and I I told you this elevator pitch before we joined the call together. I usually take the listeners on a kind of transformative journey of childhood to teenage years to career and to outcome but i think with you i would like to start with lupin and understand what what it is because i think that was derived from your previous experiences in the, the marines and then your experiences in the marines or joining the marines was a product of your childhood and i would like to flip it back to front uh, so could you mm-hmm. bring to life for the listeners what lupin is and the motivations behind it
1: yeah, so looping in a nutshell, is a um, piece of software that currently integrates into Slack that helps, um, encourages employees to check in each day, how they're feeling, so from negative through to positive, and then a sentiment related to that and any comments they have related to that. Uh, the idea being not to expose necessarily the raw emotions of people at work, but be able to create a higher level of connectivity between people where you can actually say how you are uh, and, and not necessarily in a vulnerable way but the, the ability to just say I feel like this today then that provides awareness to maybe people you're close to within your team it also provides awareness for your manager to maybe help intervene or, or or give some guiding advice or just be aware of how you are on that particular day um, so that's what we've built uh, and there's lots more within that to be honest but this derives from one of the things people don't realise about, especially the Marines, is how we get through tough situations and difficult situations. And one of the things, one of our core values or one of our spirits is cheerfulness, which is cheerfulness in the face of adversity. So when it's all going wrong, try and smile. That's the best thing that can happen. Um, the other thing we do is something called dripping, which is uh, moaning. We just moan. Um, and we will sit in groups and around the... Uh, Pusses issue TV, we call it, which is basically a fire. And we'll stare into the fire, throwing twigs, and we'll just moan and exchange stories, and so on and so on. What I always used to think this was in the military was just exactly that, like just bent in talking shit. When you come away from the military and you look at it, you realise it's an opportunity for guys and girls to just get a little bit off their chest of what they're thinking, so they can think with clarity. And the reason you need that is so they can think with clarity during some of the most difficult operational situations they'll go through um when you look at that that's a human behavior we're very tribal things we we want to be in groups of people we want to be sat around the fire sharing um whether that's positive things or negative we want to be sharing and communicating and for us at lupin there is this real worry that people have become Inadvertently wrapped up in their own worlds, that they feel it very hard to be able to let go of this protective layer we show to people to actually show our true selves. Um, and I believe it's my duty, and, and it's and my business partner's duty as Marines, who people look at us and go, white, tattooed, bald ex Marine male. Okay, cool. You're going to tell me one thing or another. You're going to tell me how hard you are or something else. Um, that is completely the wrong. and what my belief is is that it's my responsibility to say no it's okay on some days to say you feel sad it's okay on some days to just want to cry it's okay on some days to just laugh in the face of anything you can find to laugh at because that's what being human is and I've seen it in its raw state in combat where things go so wrong afterwards you'll sit around that fire and you'll discuss what happened don't hold it you don't leave it. You discuss what happened. And that might be from a tactical point of view or that might be from an emotional point of view. And I'm sad this moment's taken place and we've lost this person. Now, that's powerful stuff. It makes people, it makes teams extremely high performers. Um, I don't want to use the word elite, but everyone looks at the Royal Marines and the Parachute Regiment and SAS and SBS as elite. Well, they, they, treat, they achieve this eliteness through certain avenues, which is training, specializing in certain things, um, tactically all this, but also who they are as human beings. And that's the bit people don't see. You know, the, the people outside the wire don't know that bit. And so we take that magic little tiny bit of gold dust and apply it to technology and then help people use that technology As opposed to tell them, here's some technology, go and use it, see what happens, that will cause a car crash. We, it's our responsibility to show you how to use that and get the best from it, to show you how a manager can become the leader they deserve to be, or an employee's voice can actually be heard. And that just because you're red today doesn't mean you're going to affect bottom line. It means actually if someone takes care of this person who's not feeling too good today, they might be fucking green for the next month because someone's listened to them. Or by the way, you're going to increase that massively that's the bit that we're very passionate about and that stems all the way back through our military careers
0: <laughs> Mate, that's this that's this service that i need in my day-to-day life and my friends need and my colleagues need have you found any pushback send the my...
1: hr our <laughs> <laughs>
0: have you found any pushback from organizations who've wanted yeah. to be blue pilled they don't want the red pill they want the blue pill and be blissfully blissfully ignorance of the workforce um, because I guess it's a tr- it's like unveiling the mask of the corporate culture that they have have you found re- not resentment but concealment of that from um, some of the organizations that you've reached out to
1: yeah like if I'm really honest we don't want to work with them either because it'll be difficult and it'll be hard and you'll never get the buy-in you 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 want from them I think the reason I kind of say that with a bit of a smile though is because It's slowly becoming not the big organizations which maybe think like that. It's choice. It's now becoming the people's choice. And what's happened is the pandemic's accelerated this thinking that a lot of employees are going, actually, I am extremely valued in myself. I value who I am. I'm credible. I'm highly skilled, and I get treated like a piece of shit here, and I can't be who I want to be. Well, there's Thousands, if not millions of companies out there who are now like, "Hey, come and work for us. You can work anywhere in the world, bring your laptop um, we've got all these cool wellbeing schemes. come and join our culture gym shark it's just a prime example of how new age almost millennial Gen Z run companies are going, We're about you? Come and work with us and so what will slowly happen is the companies that don't embrace this new way of thinking are going to bleed people and they're going to bleed the good people they're going to promote the pretty much underperforming average people and then they're going to only be able to hire let's be honest the sort of mid-pool low talent area you're going to lose fantastic people because they're sharp they're clever and they know how valuable they are and they'll go to the companies that truly value them so we i have seen companies like, oh you know we're not getting the uptake we thought we'd get um and engagement's really low well that's not (laughs) looping looping is a really simple tool that is asking your people to check in and i love saying it it's not looping it's your (laughs) culture um and that's fine like if it doesn't work for you it doesn't work for you and we can work with other people and not something probably my investors want to hear but that's who we are as a culture as well we have integrity as a business and we don't want to spoon feed you and force feed you culture that you're probably not going to ever be able to adapt to we want to work with the companies that do care and i think that's the power in it you know the companies we work with everyone checks in all the time i had um i had one the other day where i was speaking to the ceo and he said do you know it was amazing uh and this isn't us this is we just provide the platform to be able to help with this communication they have to take the action and the ceo said chris said um i got an email from one of my junior employees the other day who said she couldn't believe that I had emailed her asking if she was all right based off her check-in. And I was like, that's the bit that matters. The fact that she'll probably stay now because she's bought into how the CEO speaks to people around the company. What an impact. Um, And I think that's important to really, really understand.
0: What stands out for me within that last anecdote? from the last conversation that you, the the employee and the CEO had was the desire to feel important. I feel like Mm. that's the one trait all humans cohesively possess, the desire to feel heard and important and have a voice. And I think if the CEO of my organization reached out to me, which he has before, or he has before, and the chair has reached out to me before on separate other occasions, that was one moment where I felt accountable to someone. And my well-being and my success and my achievements are being recognised by others. Um, So I'm just so behind looking. uh,
1: I think... But that's the attitude that absolutely matters. And this comes from, like, a moment that I had in the military where it's in the middle of Dartmoor. It's freezing shit. The rain's pretty much coming upwards somehow. Um, And we were on a shooting package and we had the recruits and I was one of the corporals. I remember like standing there feeling quite sorry for myself and quite cold and miserable. And uh, I think it was the commandant of the camp who is a four, full colonel and there's 20 ranks between us probably and a, a lot of zeros in, in the sense of salary. And he, um, he came over and he just, he never met me before. I've never really met him. I know who he is. And we had a conversation and uh, we were talking, what did he say? He asked me about my family, and I, I think I must have told him the kids' names, etc. And then probably a year later, I saw him again um, walking down the main road in the camp, and I was walking his way, and, and I walked by him, and he didn't know who I was. He went, morning, Corporal. I was like, morning, sir. He didn't know my name. He said, uh, how's Zach and Layla? I was like, whoa. Um, yeah, they're good. Completely caught me off guard. I was like, yeah, they're really good. Thank you, sir. And, and he sort of, great start, and off he went. And for me, like, that means a lot. Like, I'd follow him into battle with no rifle naked if he asked me to because of he remembered something that mattered to me. Um, and that's the bit that counts. You know, this is what we could be doing in the business world. Not everyone's good at it, okay? Not everyone is good at sitting down and engaging with their people and saying, how are you today? And genuinely being able to listen but not doing it is fucking completely tasking dis- you don't have to listen you don't have to remember you don't have to take on board if you just show you listen you have a far greater impact than burying your head in the sand and not listening at all and and that's the thing people I see in leadership completely miss that they think they need to be the expert in listening. They think they need to be the expert in mental health. They think they need to be the expert in communication. They think they need the answers. And if they think they're missing one of those, or if not all of them, they'll close up, they'll go quiet and they'll go, oh, um, maybe you should go and see the uh, company um, mental health expert, instead of talking to me about this subject. You know, that, that's That's not helpful. And you shouldn't feel like that as a manager. You should be able to go, I hear you. I see where you're coming from. In my head, thinking I don't have all the answers, but I can begin to help this person navigate, signpost them to somewhere of value, maybe give them an article that they should be reading or could read, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's the bit. You know, people will look at that as an employee. You'll go, "You actually listened. You actually took time to hear me. I work for you." And this is this whole thing Simon Sinek talks about: is creating followers, creating followership, as opposed to just leading people forward is you have to be there for your people. And we live in a time where pe- people are changing. The well-being, the engagement of people at work, employees at work is fundamental to how millennials and Gen Z think.
0: And flipping that on its head, Ben, there's a lesson that stood out for me, for the individual who's perhaps an apprentice or a graduate or low-level employee. Uh, and it's something I do that I've taken away from that one message or one lesson that you brought to life there is, On my laptop at work, I have a personal CRM and whenever I speak with a CEO or a a director or a partner, I note down those personal anecdotes as well. Like, oh, the last holiday they went on or the last football game that they saw or where they have a season ticket or the names of their child. And then next, the next conversation I have with them, I'll bring that back up and yeah I mean the the brain's the worst hard drive in the world but if you notice note that down and you know that you've got a recurring meeting with x y or z you can cash those conversations in for reward on the flip side that will you'll stick in their mind when it comes to progression and promotion and pay rise too and so I think there's a lesson that can be flipped in its head there as well don't you think Ben
1: yeah absolutely and also when was the last time I did a podcast I can't remember because I sort of just come off the podcast gas I'm so much more invested in something that I'm doing now and I don't really do them at all at the moment I think I did I had to do one for work the other day um and before that I think Stevens was the last one I'd done which was quite a while ago and the reason I say that is because you brought me in like I I like that I like what you were talking about in when we were talking on the phone the messages you send I'm like ah oh, this guy is pretty cool I'm happy to invest my time for free on a Tuesday evening with the kids at home to give you something of value that hopefully you can use. And I think that's from you becoming a genuine person as opposed to forcing bullshit that I would see straight through, which I've had with other podcasts where it's like, no, I'm I'm all right. Thanks. I'm busy. Um, Which is quite common because it is times precious to us all, isn't it? You want to get value from your guests. I have to be able to, ensure that I'm putting my my time in the right places. But this comes because you've you've invested and you've shown something, you've reflected something back to me where I've gone, ah, cool. I, I wanna I wanna spend some time with this guy. And and I think if you did that in all corners of your life, any person, you get so much more in return than just trying to go out and grab. And I think again that goes back to what makes it almost what we're talking about there is what makes a good leader is going out to grab all the time it's not all about that bonus it's not all about this i think if you can do the other more emotionally intelligent bits well your bonus will quadruple um and you'll probably promote far quicker so yeah it's interesting the dynamic of that
0: and i think a really good question to ask yourself to test that is do people love me for who i am or what i do and if you checklist the second of that what you do the leverage that you have the job title you have the connections that you have you realize that you're just a product you're productized but if you can answer that and say people come to me because of who i am the values that i have the mission that i'm on my purpose then that's rich and then after you do that you could perhaps even ask yourself do i love myself for who i am or why do and then that takes it into another kind of journey of self awareness and Mm -hmm. Only recently I've started asking myself that question and I I don't know the answer. Do people come come to me because I have a podcast and um, there's some sort of signal and oh, my mates got a podcast or whatever, or maybe I can get on the podcast or is it because people love the podcast values and the mission that I gave to you that allowed you to come on Ben? And I think that's a really good canary in the coal mine test to understand uh, where you're at in that journey.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a hard question to ask yourself
1: it is um uh, maybe it's the same as without sounding cliche the meaning of life or how the universe got here is they were still trying to work out a lot of this and you, it's maybe something you'll never answer um i think nowadays you have to bring an an immense and rightly so i think as well you you should bring an immense amount of value if you expect something in return um interestingly i found probably the biggest successes in in selling Lupin as a platform to people has not been telling people exactly how it works. And hey, we're from Lupin. This is the product. You press this button and move this here and this happens. Because people are like, oh, you're just another sales guy. Cheers. what What is more impactful is actually sharing an insight and telling a story and telling the story as opposed to just some bullshit story just made up. It's like, tell the story. like well have you got 10 minutes yeah okay well this is how we arrived here and this is the reason we do it and this is the reason we make this and this is the reason this button does this um and people like dig that and i think that's maybe that's something you'll never fully have the answer for as well it's why why do people ask well i i do ask it every now and then you know why do you want to have that conversation with me i feel like a normal guy just living a normal life um But that's my perspective on my own life. I just see that as my normal life. Other people would look at it completely differently. But vice versa, you know, I look at, you know, anyone who's doing what you do. And also the people I encounter is, I realize the ones that truly have great success and have the most amount of humility are the ones that know their value, but can deliver their value in the right way. And will also um, ask for someone's value in return, you know. What do I get from this? This is a moment that we share together. Um, rather than the 100% take, take, take. And maybe that's what people see in yourself.
0: Thanks, Ben. That's an, that's amazing. You talk about how you sell almost your story when you sell Lupin. Can we take it back to your childhood uh, and your Genesis story and your origin story? And can we bring that to life for the listeners?
1: Yeah. Um, mine was no, not really any different, I suppose. Um, on the outside my parents seemed quite happy Uh, I didn't know at such a young age they were extremely unhappy with one another and things didn't end well at all Um, Dad sort of disappeared off the scene for a while Mum was left with the house to pay for which then she couldn't afford and it got repossessed and all these things Um, and we found ourselves travelling around quite a bit moving in and out of different schools, she tried to reform her life. Um, I think we ended up living with her partner who was just just missing completely. He was there, but he was missing as a presence for what we needed, which was my brother and I to have an alpha male who took care of us. So mum sort of took it all on her, on her shoulders and um, we were in the way, not to my mum, but to him. And... You know, couldn't wait till we turned twenty and get out of the house, um, which I think you you notice as a young child. So you then during your formative years begin to try and establish what your place is in the world. And mine was trying to be an alpha male. You know, protect my brother, protect my mum. Well, if you're not going to do it, my dad's run off, and well, it's down to me, this nine-year-old, to to come up with the solution to be that guy. And I think what it ended up inevitably doing was actually driving quite a deep hate towards blokes. Um and males and the lack of fitting in as well and moving from different schools and not knowing how to actually function as a young young lad sort of really put me in the wrong places. Um and I think that's you know inevitably where the drugs sort of began and it was like, well, I need to fit in somewhere. I have to fit in. And I was always sort of craving for this alpha male presence and so probably being in the group of kids which take drugs at school was some, Well, someone in there must have a presence so that's where I found myself and then kind of <laughs> got a little bit out of control um and I always had this ambition I think from a young age really young age I always wanted to be a soldier I wanted to join the marines and it was always the marines um and and do that part of my journey and and I remember sort of kind of clearing my act up a little bit towards the end of my GCSEs and did my GCSEs I didn't do too well but I didn't do horrendously um I won't be that person who's like failed school failed this it's not that I just just got shit marks in some subjects and got great marks in others um but I didn't want to do sixth form I wanted to go and join the marines straight away and um and got the application form out and everything and then uh, my mum bless her she was like no you've got to do education and kind of forced me back into the education box and for me that's when i then began like opposing it all like oh fuck you then as well you're i don't like you you're missing from my life and this and that um and so i, I begrudgingly went into sick form and um yeah that's where i really wanted to fit in more i wanted to be bigger bulkier I wanted to be tougher and um, so I thought well the best way to do that is to become a bouncer at 18 <laughs> so <laughs> at, at 17 and a half years old when i was still at school in sick form I've done my SIA badge passed the license and then waited till I was 18 and then literally the 10th of January or the 11th of January so my birthday is the 10th I think the 11th of January I was working my first night on the door as a young boy um way outside of his comfort zone and and learned a lot very quickly um do you but it think, introduced me to a world that i shouldn't have possibly been introduced to
0: do you think the motivation behind becoming a bouncer is perhaps the ability to have control for the first time because you were shifted around skills like cattle you didn't have control over your family dynamic and Mm. do you think now this was the first time that you could be the man that had control and you were the facade of the door you were the facade of control you sat Mm. outside or stood outside the front of a door and you were the embodiment of control you controlled how that night was ultimately ran in terms of safety uh you controlled who came in who left but you never had control over who came in your life and who left your life previous to that
1: yeah it's a good observation i don't think i've actually truly looked at it from that angle i i um I'd probably admit, yeah, there is that power, there is that control, like you have to get past me it wasn't hard in the first instance, though <laughs> <You> <laughs> just get in um, I think a big part of it was just not having those that like that male to be around who I thought could lift me into the character I needed to shape into I thought I needed to shape into. And I thought that would be within that world. You know, the, of course, it's a very alpha male driven world. It's tough guy arena. And and yeah, you do, you know, um, I was 18 at one point, all of a sudden in a blink of an eye, I was 19. And there was such a different progression between being 18 and 19. And I was using steroids and I was bulking up and I was, I suppose, on paper getting tougher, um, doing martial arts and stuff like that and getting involved in more fights and all that horrible stuff which comes with that job that yeah year on you, you're a different character and you feel pretty tough guy here um, and you begin to feel like you're part of it you are getting a rep you do have a presence and I think that for me was it ended up fueling my ego as I was like, I'm past the first boundary here I'm starting to fit in and I'm around the tough guys who want me part of their crew and that was a big part and that that played a huge role in shaping that mindset for me which was i'm glad it happened because otherwise i wouldn't be here today doing what i do but it was taxing to say the least and it got me into a lot of bad places that um i I hope my children never get near to truly understand that this isn't where i should be (laughs) i should not be here and what am i going to do next
0: what are some of the bad places that it got you into
1: um so someone unfortunately lost their life in um in a in a in a fight with the door team that was part of which caused obviously a huge investigation and um a number of us were arrested for certain things and unfortunately that person lost their life in a a way that couldn't have been helped it was just complete accident and um It was a real true exposure into what that part of the underworld looks like and how it can so easily go wrong as well. Um, And then the day it sort of all ended for me was, I was working a night uh, where a man, a local man hit his missus, his girlfriend, and I just lost it. I saw Red and just did something to him. Um and I didn't feel good about doing that but you know I, I am a person of that like you, you never hit a woman you don't hit defenceless people if you're a real man you, you wouldn't do something like that and he did and he did it on my watch and I retaliated and he got hurt in the process what it then transpired was he was a heavily connected individual in the area who then put a debt onto me that I would need to pay within three days otherwise um, things would get really difficult and so it was quite it felt quite humiliating because you know you feel like you're the alpha male the tough guy and then all of a sudden you're trying to scrape around for three or four grand going home crying to mum saying I need help here because I don't have the money to do this and borrowing money or friends and telling them why and all this stuff to then have to go through three days later with a As as surreal as it sounds, as you wouldn't see it in the movie, brown envelope full of cash going into a TGI's to hand it over to someone, say, sorry about your nose, Um, which ironically got me a load of respect. And people said, Oh, you you know, you should join our crew and all that stuff. And I said, What the fuck is this shit all about? I'm all right. Um, And that's the day I turned my back on it. But because I had no job and I had no future in my eyes at that point, it was. then a very depressive downward spiral into abusing drugs um, coming off the gear not properly and and really falling into the depths of quite a dark place to, to be even questioned in my own life and what, what I'm really here for It's how, how quick that happened as well it's quite shocking in, in a space of a couple of months from thinking you're top guy to oh fuck I don't think I want to be here anymore and using drugs to escape from it
0: pardon the military pun but you literally went from hero to zero uh emotionally (laughs) um yeah how low did it really get
1: uh i i would so i'd never call myself a hero anyway um but you're right it was it felt like cloud nine to depths of hell how bad did it get it got to the point where i went driving around the countryside trying to crash my car into something but never having the minerals to actually swerve off the road or anything like that. And ended up back at the house, my mum's house on a Tuesday, just fucking crying beside myself thinking I couldn't even do that. Um, which was the moment or that day that I went onto the computer to look at something, feeling sorry for myself, I happened to be scrolling through a number of videos on the sort of old clunkier YouTube where, the Royal Marines advert came up and it was the young guy goes through the bog. It pauses. Uh, would you give up here? Goes through the tunnel, gets caught in the tunnel. Would you give up here? If yes, don't even fill out the application form. And I was like, mm. <laughs> maybe it's time to change. And that was it. Literally that moment, penny drop in my head. I thought, I'm going to join the military. I didn't know, I didn't think I was going to join the Marines. I actually thought I was going to, in my eyes, coward out of the Marines. Not that anyone joined the Marines, not joining the Marines is a coward. I wanted to join the Marines, but I thought, oh, I'll start with a different idea and I'll see what else is available in the military and what's easier. Um, To then going into the careers office and the bumping into the marine at the front desk he's like you don't want to join nuts, you want to join the fucking marines mate and then that was it i was like, all right then <laughs> and i started the journey but it was amazing you know talk about finding that purpose go from this sort of suicidal addicted to drugs young boy who suddenly when he when he found that moment in himself that oh, I'm, I'm gonna go and do this and having the courage to actually do it and decide i'm going to fill out the application form i'm going to try and be the 0.1 percent you know 99.9 percent did not apply i'm going to go and try and be that 0.1 percent people say you can't do it and, and you're quite scrawny and you've wasted your sort of last year on drugs and all that stuff suddenly running and doing exercise and being uh as physically and and mentally motivated as other people doesn't seem real it doesn't seem that that could be done um but in my head i I, it clicked it was like maybe this is what i should be doing maybe that's the world i need to be part of and yeah fast forward a bit of time and i was at the commando training center starting day one of training and it's all a blur since then
0: (laughs) when i look at my life which is far more vanilla than yours mate I kind of think the trauma and experiences that I've went through in my younger years is almost like an elongated version of cold water therapy. I've experienced this enthralling, exhaustive experience in my earlier years that allow me to excel and deal with pressure now. Do you think entering such a robust training program and the most elite forces in the world, do you think having such a traumatic experience before that conditioned you to work within those uh environments
1: yeah definitely I, I i've talked about this a lot that i reckon i must have been one of the only few people on my train when we pulled up at the training center who got off that platform and was like this is fucking awesome <laughs> like i genuinely felt like a success arriving at the gates knowing what i'd beaten um and knowing what i the hurdles i would got myself over to get to the gates not just like young kid who's just come out of school which most of my troop were they've they've applied and here they are and lots of them had their own experiences don't mean mine was the worst whatsoever just for me I felt successful I was like oh my god I'm here at the Royal Marines Training Centre and I'm on the path the journey to become commando and like that was fucking thrashed out of me within about half an hour being there and like all of a sudden it's like this is shit um but deep down you're like you're here and you've arrived and I think that was that was like a real formative part of my military career was to know that just by being there I had succeeded and like this is the other thing as well there's so many people which talk the talk but they never walk the walk you know I know loads of people like yeah I'd love to join the marines or stop fucking twisting your neck when you talk about it and actually join or don't say it you know It's there's there's so many people out there which I've bumped into like oh yeah I was going to do that but you didn't that's not to discredit that person or it's nothing against those people which don't do it but for me I was someone who was like I'm going to do it I'm actually going to get there and that's like any whether you pass training or not I had the utmost respect for anyone who got to the gate because that's fucking hard in its own right you know just leaving your family for months on end to, to join one of the toughest training courses in the world that's gnarly stuff to be doing at such a young age let alone um not just what awaits but everything you've had to let go and 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 maybe things you have been through in the past and like I had always no matter how shit a recruit was I always had respect for him for being there um and I think that was where I found pride was people didn't think I'd get there for a start and I also knew so many people which were going to get there themselves and never did and I was like arriving at the gates was a big moment to be like i've made it here now all i need to do is just continue the journey and i think that's helped shape some of my resilience as i've moved forward is is knowing that deep down there is that tenacity to achieve it and that's the same in business people are going to say no all the time people are going to leave the product all the time people are going to push back on things all the time it's having the tenacity to just be like okay how do we navigate this how do we work out the next problem how do we how do we find a solution for this? How do we just ignore that person's feedback for now and just listen to the good stuff and know what we're doing right over here? And and all these things. And it takes time to build that and I'm still working on it myself, but um, equally it's that, that way of thinking within us all.
0: It's such an awesome story. And I'm reflecting on my own dad's story who has a very similar upbringing, um, quite a troubled young man who speaks about how grateful he was to get into the for him the scots guards and hearing your story bringing that to life do you think do you have any recall of moments during training that was really difficult where you could tap into that gratitude complex and be like i'm just grateful for being here and then you kind of enjoyed the not enjoyed but bared the the grueling parts of training do you have any sort of distinct memories where you were in intense pressure Within training, and you were able to tap into that gratitude. Mm.
1: I, it's gonna be a really random noise for people to listen to. That was, wasn't it? When they uh, <laughs>
0: um,
1: I don't think there was like a, a a unique moment which stands out in its own way. But I know that. What I truly loved, which probably goes back to what I was craving as a younger lad, was being around certain characters. And I think for me, there's this thing called Sunday Blues. So if you ever got the opportunity to come home for like three weeks leave or Easter or just like you happen to get a random weekend off, you'd you'd come home. Um, Fucking more often than not, the day you got back, or sorry, the day after you got back, you'd be going in the field like there's no nowhere around you'd be going on exercise for a week straight and it'd be raining like that was always a thing yeah great leave and then you're straight back straight <laughs> do shit stuff um and you'd always be on the train from wherever like three or four hours on the train just like oh my god I fucking hate my life and you're watching the rain sort of come down and you're like oh I've got to pack on my kit when I get back I've got to iron it's gonna be a late night and and you do you resent that bit? It's called Sunday blues for a reason. Everyone's blue as fucking hates their life. Um, but then you get back and you walk into the accommodations. Definitely as a recruit, and you see the other guys there, and they're all busy around doing their own thing. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, the blues is going away a little bit. It's back with the boys. And and you get in your room and you talk about the things you've been up to for the last three weeks, and you exchange stories and you. It all drip or moan about the fact that you have been in the field the next day but I think that's that uniqueness in it that um is part of that way of feeling that it's shit it's difficult but I'm here with the right people and on some days you need them and on other days they need you and I think that makes those moments when you do say goodbye to your family and and you drive down or you you catch a train down into training that um It's all right. You were the guys. And I remember like deploying to Afghan. That was fucking shit saying goodbye to people. And I was hung over to fuck as well. Um, The day we were deploying, like I was back with my family, say goodbye to my fiance. And you never know if you're going to see those people again. Um, And the drive down like was horrendous because I was just so hung over anyway. But then you get to camp and then you just switch on. Like, okay, family's gone um that bit's done now the goodbyes are done now the excitement built about the the, poise we're packing our kit we're all getting ready to deploy the next day and that's quite that's quite an interesting interesting feeling which i think you don't do it justice even trying to describe it you have to live that but that makes it not easier but more durable to get through when when things get difficult
0: it's almost like Pavlovian conditioning. Like even looking again from a personal anecdote point of view, my dad did the Last Remembrance Sunday Parade, and he was asked to lay down the wreath um, on behalf of the the Royal British Legion to which he attends. And so he dressed up with his medals, his beret, and marched. And I seen him switch, like absolutely switch into character, like he was back in the army, and he was there was like a laser focus. And he, my dad suffers from arthritis in his hip. He can barely walk to the shop and back across the street. But he walked for miles that day with his ex-comrades. And he, he's in his late 60s. And it was so strange just seeing this switch back to this boyish, mm. um, this brotherhood, this, uh, this like I said, my dad suffered PTSD, this sense of responsibility and pride again. It was so rich to see. And I mentioned that to my uncle, who was also watching the parade. And he said to me, David, this is not the first time I've seen this. And I asked him to open up about it. And he said, uh, five years ago at my daughter's wedding, your dad was there uh, and he, he wore his medals with his suit. Um, and at one point she had a bagpiper and it was a Scottish wedding. And just like that, in a blink of an eye, my dad saluted hmm. and everyone was laughing around him. Like all the other guys were laughing around him. And my uncle said, you don't know what this guy's been through for him to have that innate switch for him to do that. And mm. hearing your story there was like a testament, like a kind of early on sp- seed planted of uh, of my dad's story. And I, I, I have never experienced, I've never spoke to my dad about that, but I've never experienced or saw that anywhere else but that one moment. And it was really such a rich awareness of what the army and the armed forces and the Marines, how much of a profound impact that has on like the later aspects of your life.
1: Mm. Yeah. Ask him about it afterwards. It'll be an interesting conversation.
0: It will be. That brotherhood, that sense of community that you um, mentioned before, uh, when you arrived uh, back from the Sunday Blues or you were about to deploy, how important was that brotherhood and community in the latter events that came with Afghanistan? Do you have any specific moment where there was a specific moment of unity amongst uh, you and your comrades?
1: Yeah, there's 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 hundreds of moments. Um, when one of the bases we were we were at uh, called Checkpoint Toki was just this shit hole in the middle of nowhere. I think it was coined as like the only way out was by medivac, and um, and it was it was claiming victims every week. There's only I think there's only thirty or forty of us actually based there, and it was. It was like proper Nam, <laughs> dare I say it, and uh, only I suppose the guys which had kind of lived in that green zone territory would and girls would understand that feeling of why it felt like Nam was because it's just just you had nothing it was gnarly every time you go out was, you, you were getting scrapped on or or someone was standing on something and unfortunately getting blown up, um, and we had this area called the caboose which was just a load of pillows that we'd robbed from a compound somewhere that we just put around a stove and you'd just sit there and make hot drinks and ironically hot drinks and in sort of 45, 50 degree heat. Um but you'd do it late into the evening, just sit there smoking, and things would things went wrong a lot. Like we did lose people there and it wasn't nice. Um I think the first day I arrived there we lost someone was killed in action, an American guy. Um and uh it was just littered with IEDs around the compound. like, And they could get close in that place. Because it was a green zone. It was so dense, they could get really close. Um, and you'd, you'd just sit and laugh. Like, that was the cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Like, this can't get shitter. Like, <laughs> unless they come in here and just start wielding AK-47s around. Like, we're pretty much at our limit here. Um, and the security routine we were on was something like one on, three off, one hour on, three hours off, all the way through. And then you throw your patrols in there as well. And it was just, it was knackering and the food was shit because we're on rations. It's just but it was brilliant. And like I don't tell that story to, like my war was worse than someone else's. Like we genuinely look at that and be like, yeah, it's fucking tough. But my God, it was an experience to go through to be to do it properly I think that was a big thing for me like I I feel sorry for the people which have had to deploy in operations and they've been stuck at Camp Bastion which has been really safe it's been six months just you know living in a a, basically a a man-made city in the middle of the desert um careful what you wish for I always swear by that like yeah we want it to be gnarly but there is a point where you sit there and like, this is fucking, you joke about it. Like, this is ridiculously gnarly. And let's laugh about it. Let's just like, how can we make this slightly better? We'll laugh about it. You know, there was points where it was that dangerous outside the wire, outside the comp- compound wall. Our sergeant was like, lads, there's a high high chance you're probably going to get blown up. If you get blown up and you find yourself lying there, uh, just try to sort yourself out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> oh good. Which like, obviously
1: fills you with reassurance. But it was just true. There was but well, that actually helped you function. Like it it became so basic that right all we've got to do is get up and survive. That's it. Like just get up, survive, look after one another, go to sleep that night. Get up, survive, eat, sleep, repeat. And eat, sleep, survive, repeat. Um <laughs>
0: I've never heard that rendition of that (laughs) before in my life. I've
1: never said it. It It's a bit of a tongue-tie. But when you do that and you you accept it and you accept it as one as well, like this could go wrong, I've accepted the faith, and then everything else is a bonus, you somehow live a completely different life. Um, And, yeah, there's many occasions where I think we've all sat there and cried together. We've all sat there and laughed together. We've all sat there and gone, that was fucking close together i think they're some of the best moments not when not when someone unfortunately obviously passes away or when a massive operation happens it's those moments where you're like oh my god did anyone see that bullet hit that post right behind my head earlier and and you just laugh you're just literally like yeah fucking hell how are we still here and uh, they're the moments you make those bonds with people that can never be broken
0: is that where the ara concept comes from the accept Remove, adapt,
1: framework. Yeah. I, I, ARA was something that I think came on later in life, which I then reflected back to. And unfortunately, ARA, ARA for me came around when we lost our first um, Marine on our tour, Dino. And the operation itself was meant to be 24 hours long, which isn't long in the grand scheme of things, but we went light, you know, we went full ammo. A little bit of food and about as much water as you could carry, which we ended up running out of. Um, and we landed in darkness at like 4:30 in the morning. Um, and Dino was killed within five minutes, stepping off the helicopter, moving across a ditch at night, detonated an ID, killed him instantly in in a gruesome way, and took out two other guys with him. And you know, when you hear your friends' names come over the net, over the over uh, over the um, over the radios and that they've been lost and, that you know, people are trying to treat them and you can hear the screaming and all that stuff. It's... Uh, knowing you've still got a whole day of fighting to go and you've not even begun, like, it's quite a, a, a difficult place to be and all the emotion kicks in. Anger. You know, we're going into a village. You know, the last thing you need is anger because you're going to kill people you shouldn't be killing. So you have to work out how to navigate that part. The emotion, like negative emotion clouds the mind. So you're not going to be able to function properly. You're going to miss something. You're going to see something. Um, and ARA for me is the ability to accept the situation has happened. Um, accept it's It's inevitable now. What, what happens next is what matters most. You know, when you lose people, you lose them. Like got to get on and get on with it. Um the R stands for remove unwanted emotion, which comes to that. Like, I can't go into this compound angry. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to think. You're going to rush. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to shoot at the wrong thing. You can't go in there emotional. You have to clear your mind of unwanted emotion. You have to think with clarity. Um, and then the A is the final ways is adapt. We've got to adapt to situation. You've lost three Marines. Get over it. Get over yourself. Get over it you have to do the operation um, and that for many people is very difficult to get their heads around like it's a it's a very difficult thing to compose within yourself to be able to do but the reason I talk about ARA quite um, often with people is like you face that on a daily basis you're face, you've been through it yourself you know you've lost close family members in in last year and you would have had to in time go through your own processes um of how you deal with that situation and and people say it sounds emotionless or it might sound numb it's not it's your way to navigate a situation that's difficult i i believe that losing people is one of the most difficult situations you could probably use ara in it's a very difficult process but if someone tells you no at work and that pisses you off there's a way of thinking other than just reacting and, and get an emotional about the situation. Okay, that's happened, except it's happened. All right? How do I not fuck this up by saying what I truly think of this person? I need to remove the unwanted emotion. And now I need to adapt to the situation. I'm really sorry, we're laying you off. Motherfucker. You know, I'm really sorry, the pandemic's coming and putting you in lockdown. Motherfucker. You know, there's so many things out there in our lives that we we could use ARA just to just pause. Just pause, accept, remove, and adapt. That That's what it simply simply is and yeah for me the first time it ever happened was unfortunately when we'd lost someone and we have to fight on but then it would happen time and time again and you become more and more aware of it and then you don't become numb over time you just become better at dealing with the difficult situations which i think makes it sometimes easier now when people are like no we're not going to (laughs) invest okay cool accept remove adapt move on you know and that's what we do
0: (laughs) do you remember the last time you used it in your military career mate
1: yeah, when I was discharged, literally when I um went into the medical centre to, to become special forces, that's what I wanted to go and do. Um I have already been on selection, unfortunately got injured, came back, and then I was like, I'll give it another go. Um and I was really like fit. I thought, yeah, I'm probably gonna badge here and become a sneaky beaky soldier and um went in to put, do my medical test and they picked up on my hearing and I walked out instead of my paperwork to go and join the SBS I um, walked out of my paperwork which had downgraded me which meant I couldn't operate fully as a marine and that I needed to get the ball rolling on my medical discharge and I think had I not had those experiences up to that point I'd have been quite emotional about that um, it was a very quick moment to be like okay that dream's over what do I do next
0: it's so strange how that draws a really stark parallel to the moment when you were a bouncer and you had to pay that debt. You went mm-hmm. from again not using the term but hero to zero really quickly. And
1: yeah, and I think, um, yeah. But the thing is, I never knew. And and the second time round, you're not a zero. It's just straight across of going, okay. How can I use what I have? And. How do I make this work for me now? I'm not going to end up where I was before. Okay, this is where I'm at. How do I go across and now upwards in a different part of my life? And that's where I found my way into it.
0: I love it. Can we speak about your injury uh, and, and that moment in time? I think that's a really stark moment in your uh, your story so far. Can you run me through that? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um So, yeah, the day I was injured was the last day I spent on operations, that's for sure. It is we had the day before flown into an area which was called basically the Hornets Nest. Um where we were was in a place called Nadi Ali North. And so then obviously had Nadi Ali South, but between Nadiali North and South was this sort of divide that the North and South forces weren't meeting. So um N- Nadiali North was basically the rifles and 4-2 commando which I was part of and then uh, the south was your ugly bunch up north 4-5 commando from Arbor Um and uh, they never we never really matched our patrols in the middle so the Taliban had free reign on that so we were deployed on an operation which was a strike operation to go in and just um, kill the Taliban in that area and arrest anyone we could as well um, and the day we flew in we'd We took casualties within the first few hours. We had a grenade come over the wall, which took out our mortar fire controller. So we, um C, who's my corporal, ended up stepping up to have to call in mortars and we're calling mortars in getting closer and closer to the compounds to try and push Taliban wave back. It was just, you could, unless you filmed it and showed it to people, you couldn't make it up. Um, And it was exciting, but it was extremely deadly. The idea being of this operation over seven days long was to just keep pushing in and out into that area to just let them know we were there and, and scrap them out. Um, but the Taliban are fucking good at what they do and uh, they deserve the respect they sh- they've earned. Uh, we, the following day, went out on a patrol. At, I think it was like seven in the morning, super quiet. Birds tweeting. It was just... It was a really nice morning. That's all I remember. It was a really nice morning. And we came out the gate. We jumped over this ditch. And the crops at that time, the corn crops, were near to seven foot. So they're really sort of, they're really tall, but you could take a lot of cover within them. Um That's not to say someone shooting through that field is going to stop a bullet, but you were seeing less. And But the humidity within them, it was so hot, you know, probably by that point in the morning it's hit 35 already 40 and the humidity within the green zone and then within these crops was just overwhelming and you just want to break free of it and we pushed through the idea being there was a village no less probably 150 meters from our actual compound um and we were going to go into that village see what was going on. Very small village. When I say village, I mean a cluster of compounds, probably six or seven compounds. But there was no activity from the enemy, but they're living like 150 metres from us. Um, and just got this massive crop field like in our way. And we pushed out. And I, I remember a second man in the patrol pushing out onto the track with Jordan, who was point man, and like observing it. And the compound we were trying to get to was 20 metres, if that, up to our front. Um, but just after a cross junction, so a road going across and the road going forward. And then, so we're in the crop field. there's a small wall, the other side of this track that we're now on. And then, yeah, my corporal was like, yeah, let's get up there. And pushed out onto the track and started moving up towards the junction. And then these two guys just walked out in front of us in full black, full black trainers, black clothing, and then the sort of wrap around their face. And it was just Taliban, like, this Taliban um, the only thing they didn't have was weapons which they would have been caching somewhere and I like, stood there ne- literally next to them with them like what the fucking fuck they've just like walked straight into us and they're su- as surprised as we are and Jordan and I like pointing our weapons at them not even saying anything just like jeez, fucking Christ like, they just stood hit right in front of us and then there's this, there was a big shout from the back of the patrol like grab them and um, that just scared them off before we'd even stepped a foot. I just they just legged it, and they were probably legging it before that was even shouted. And you bring your weapon up to shoot them, but you can't. They're like they're running away. You're aiming at their back. The shot's there. You could take the shot. But you just don't because that's fucking outright murder. And um, they weren't armed. And they ran down this track, and we were watching them like. Jordan and I at the front of this, at the front of the patrol, watching them run down this track. Going, how the are they going? And then they just darted right into this crop field next to us, which was behind this small wall. But they darted like halfway into the field. It wasn't like they carried them down a track. They darted into the field, and I just looked around, looked at my corporal. It was like, run, and that was it. And turned around to run forward to run up to the compound. We needed to get to. And Took probably about two steps and the fucking world obliterated next to us. Um, the, the wall, sorry, next to us just obliterated, just absolutely deafening explosion, straight out of my ass, fucking leg in a lot of pain, instant tinnitus, dust in the mouth and the eyes, couldn't see anything. Everything was just orange because of the explosion. And I was like in my head thinking, fuck, been hit. And I thought I'd been hit. I thought it was me because the way I'd fallen, because I knew something had gone through my leg. Um, But I couldn't see it because of the dust. And the way I'd fallen down, I'd fallen with my right leg facing out so I could actually see it. But I was actually sat on my left leg, so it looked like a stump. And, like, in the shock of it, I was like, oh, my fucking God, I've lost my leg, I've lost my leg. Um, And then, like, this comical moment of, like, oh, no, I'm sat on it. Twat and there's like blood everywhere but like scratching around trying to like find where the blood was coming from it's just some lacerations in my leg and uh i was like, oh my god i think that's me Fucking out i think it's me it's been hit and then the dust cleared and i looked back down the track and everyone had been taken out and they were lying there completely motionless i was like i'm one of the lucky ones there um And just, yeah, crawled over to one of the nearest guys and and started working on him, trying to save him. The rest is history 24 hours later in in Birmingham (laughs) with white sheets and popcorn.
0: (laughs) Oh, whoa. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) For their moments, you sign the dotted line. Don't expect them not to happen. And, yeah, it takes a while to get over those, to speak as you do speak about them now. Um but no one died. We lost a few limbs and a few things were missing on people, but no one died. They still have their lives through our ability to save them as well. You know, I remember as graphic graphic as it sounds, sorry to anyone who's listening who's um eating their food, like fingers in necks trying to stop bleeds and trying to sort of pressure my own wounds in my own leg and just just a very chaotic scene. But um yeah, we, you make it back and it just adds to the pile of all the stories that other people have. Unique to our own.
0: And if you can't tell, I'm speechless hearing that story. And I can understand why the motivation for Lupin uh, is there. Like seeing what you've seen and hearing other anecdotes of other people's stories, like it must be so important for others to check in on, you, uh, have checked in on you at times and check in on soldiers. Um, And it's just a testament to how powerful Lupin is. And I think if I learn anything from this podcast is Lupin with my dad and just hear those stories, let him talk about it. And it just, that extrapolates into why we all need to talk, I guess, about our own lowlights. And uh, uh, as you can tell, I'm speechless hearing that story and I'm really appreciative that you brought it to life. If If there's a listener... Listening to this, uh, and they might know eventually. I hope there's more than one. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a listener,
1: <laughs> if you're the one listener, if you the... say that about our own podcast, if you're the one, we want to hear from you.
0: <laughs> if there's a listener listening to this and they know someone that's experienced um, something similar to you or uh, have had a military career, what can we do to check in on them and um, empathize or sympathize with them? What can we do to support them?
1: That's really, it's quite funny you asked that because I had someone ask me that the other day. I did a big talk online for Salesforce and um, someone said, oh, I've got someone at home that I need to get to open up to talk about how they are. And and I I was quite, I had to sit about and and think like live on air looking at lots of little faces looking at me, thinking, "Mm, I've got to be clever how I word this because it's not down to you to, tell them to open up it's down to them to open up when they're ready to open up and i don't mean this just for veterans this is again something i'm passionate about it's like um you're probably playing with like fire if you're trying to get a veteran to open up to you about certain things and you've not experienced i had this when i was getting treated for ptsd i was having to sit down with a civilian psychologist who's asking me about my experiences in Afghanistan and I was just like, fuck do you know? Like, and I didn't mean it at the time, but in my head, I'm like, oh I can't open up to you. You're trying to force me to open up about something you haven't got a clue about. So the veteran community is a real difficult one. I but with people in general, so many people, and then you can put this into the veterans category as well. You can use them an example, but it's not about telling people to open up or or giving advice that then goes into someone's head that like, ah, that's what I can go and do to get that person to speak more. The the best thing we can do, and the only thing we can do really is actually set the environment. That's it. The environment's the bit you have to set. And now how we set an environment is, you know, that's down to a physical environment, but also a mental environment. And an environment to me, how do I set an environment for people to talk more openly around me is I talk openly first. So I have to be authentic. I have to be transparent. I have to tell you something like this and be open about something about myself for you to then listen. And then maybe you don't say anything. And then maybe a month later, I do it again and maybe a week later I do it again. (coughs) What I do is I provide the, environment for you to feel safe within that at some point of your choosing you can go i'd like to talk to you about this or i'd like to talk to someone about this that's the that's it it's the the environment the safety the psychological safety we can create for people around us who we know want to open up who we know want to say something but don't feel safe just yet or they feel like uh they can't let that guard down the imposter syndrome is too present like oh i'm still the person that they think i am um cool it takes time for them to get to the point where they feel safe to be able to open up we can't force people to speak we can't force people to open looping in itself can't force people to do it but you can provide a platform you can provide an avenue for them to open up if they want to you can provide the environment for them and that is key thing i said to everyone like if you're not a trained specialist or or you are worried about someone and you feel helpless in that place try and set the environment but don't make it false don't suddenly come home one day and be like oh god when i was eight fucking hell this thing happened to me yeah and i like oh it really hurt me inside did you get the same because it's see-through it's just how do you make it feel more open, more transparent within your own household, your own working environment where people will click on to the fact that it suddenly feels safe uh, and that's all we should be doing to empower that within others and then when they feel time's right, they'll speak
0: Ben, that's a make drop moment, honestly, that's what I'm going to capture, I'm going to ring fence that with a trailer clip, that was so powerful What's next for mm-hmm. Ben Williams? What's next for you, mate?
1: Uh Dinner <laughs> sausage roll Um, (laughs) and then after that what's next I I genuinely want to make Lupin a huge success it deserves to be successful whether I'm part of its journey the whole way or not it's different Um, I spent a lot of time away from my family and I spent a lot of time in the last part of my life being quite hard to be around what's next is to be able to Um, provide for my family maybe things that they wouldn't have had before without you know considerable amount of sacrifice and effort (coughs) which is what I'm doing and next is really truly launching this business into 2022 making Lupin a success uh, and enjoying the journey and I think a part of me is very at ease with failure you know if this thing doesn't work it doesn't work what i've learned over the last year or so just running a tech business and last couple of years running businesses is that it shapes you into someone that you can use for the next thing and that's what i love and i think what next is difficult to answer is because i don't know as simple as that like let's see how looping goes let's see what happens there let's see how many lives we can transform in the workplace over the next couple of years. And then, then I'll probably just lie down and sleep for quite a while. Um,
0: if, if anyone yeah. deserves it, it's you Ben, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a, oh, we,
1: we all deserve it. But, um, yeah, it, was a,
0: it was a milestone moment getting you on the podcast, Ben. I've loved your story for so long. Like I said, consumed your story so many times and I truly, truly embody and, uh, and get behind looping uh, and if there's anything i can ever do in my small capacity to do to, to promote it and to um help in any way shape or possible uh, i'll always reach out thank you for stopping by thanks for being so vulnerable uh real real pleasure ben thank you
1: thanks amri